All right, good morning. How are you? I was just going to let Brooke keep going there for my message, but I figured since I wrote some things, I might as well say it. It's good to see you all. Are you ready? Are you ready to feel your emotions? Some of you are like, I'm ready to shut down, Dale. How many weeks is this? I'm tired of thinking and feeling. We are in, if you're uh, new this morning, welcome. God has you here for a distinct purpose. I really believe that. Um, we're, in a mo- we're in a series called Emotionally Healthy Relationships. And the uh, thesis that we've been going from is from Pete Cazero's book, where he says, emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. It is not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. So we've been hitting different things, and I would encourage you, if you've missed one of them, you can find them on our website um, at cabrelg.com slash mental health. And I think some of the series that we've been doing is going to help you understand. Last week, if you missed it, we were talking around family of origin, and it hit deep with a lot of us. It hit deep with me, and it's something important to understand the things that have been passed on to us and the things we are passing on to be a transition for a lot of those kinds of things. So I encourage you to pay attention and, and, and catch up with us. In any relationship with God or with other people, there's always kind of these cycles, times of change, times of different elements that happened. The poet Nikos K, because I can't say his last name, described it like this. I am a bow in your hands, Lord. Draw me lest I rot. But do not overdraw me, Lord, because I shall break. Then we get to the point where we say, overdraw me, Lord. And who cares if I break? The author Ronald Rollheiser describes it this way. There's essential discipleship where the struggle begins to get our own lives together. There's mature discipleship where the struggle to give our lives away. And then there's this radical discipleship, the struggle to give our deaths away. In all relationships, whether they're with people or with God, they also hit this place at times where you hit a wall. And what happens at that point is significant. Let me show you what I mean. This is simply a paradigm. This is not how it is for everybody, but kind of a general way of understanding even our faith with God and maybe the different stages or some people might call them seasons of our time in relationship with God. Kind of the first stage that we hit is this life-changing awareness of God or a life-changing awareness of somebody else. But with God, there's an awareness, there's acceptance. The journey has begun, whether it was passed down to us or something happened in our life. Justification has happened. We've come to Christ. We've given our life to Him. And the sanctification process where He changes us has just begun. And then we get into stage two where we're not just aware, but we're growing, discipleship, growth, learning, understanding, time with other believers, conversations. You're coming to church. You're kind of growing in your faith, if you will. And then we hit a third stage where we become active. We do things, right? We serve. We sign up to do things. We're giving. We're active. We're participating. And these stages build upon each other, and it's beautiful. But from what I understand, because I've never actually run a marathon, my daughter has, but you hit what is called the wall. 
for some of us, we hit this wall in our spiritual journey and we hang out there for a long time. We get comfortable near a wall because nothing can jump over it. And sometimes we get stagnant at this wall. Sometimes this wall comes because of a crisis or something that really tough happened in our life. A job loss, a deep relational hurt, a death of a friend, a medical diagnosis, a disillusioning church experience, a shattered dream, or simply just dryness in our relationship with God. A change in community, you go away to school or college or something different that happens in your life and you kind of camp out here for a while. It's something that challenges our working definitions of what we thought this should be like. Expectations of how a journey with God should even be. And for most people, the expected benefits that should arrive just by being faithful. I know that one was for me. When I hit a wall and I'm like, God, this is not what I expected. I've been excellent in church attendance, not just because I work at the church, but I've been doing all the things that I thought I should be doing and I thought the results of that should be different. And yet this wall hits. Author Pete Scazzaro talks about it this way. We start to question ourselves. God, the church, we discover for the first time that our faith does not appear to work. We have more questions than answers that the very foundation of our faith feels like it's on the line. We don't know where God is, what he's doing, where he's going, how he's getting us there. Or when will this all be over? I don't know if you've ever hit the wall. Some of you are new to faith or just discovering this and you're like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to hit a wall. But in all of our lives, it's kind of inevitable. We hit walls in marriages. We hit walls just in friendships where things weren't the same. And it's what we do at that place, my friends, is where transformation can deeply happen or we stall out. It's where you go to the next level in a relationship with your marriage or a friendship or dating. And it's where we go in the next step of even what's real with God. Sometimes at that space is when people start to what we now call deconstruct. I'm going to start to take apart the things that I once believed. In his fabulous book called Death to Destruction, the author Joshua Porter writes this. Deconstruction is the shadow of transformation, which would be the opposite. As they grow and mature, every disciple of Jesus will transform their theology, their faith, their belief in several significant ways and in some small ones, many small ones. We learn we were wrong about certain things. Stuff we thought was really important becomes decidedly less so. Some things we undervalued become key. We learn to understand things in different ways, but all of this is an evolution of the same faith. We renovate the house of our discipleship, move things around, paint a few walls, get rid of some old furniture, but it remains the same recognizable house. You see, every disciple of Jesus transforms and transformation unfolds within the safeguards of orthodoxy. 
the accumulated wisdom and accountability of many centuries of the Jesus movement that discerns what teaching and practice align with the Jesus and what departs from him. Orthodoxy has room for transformation, but deconstruction scraps orthodoxy, stripping it for spare parts. The biblical term for this is falling away, where we start to just interpret things differently. We say things like, if God is really loving, this kind of thing shouldn't happen. We start to redefine, if God is really loving, this is how we should agree to certain things. We say things like, God wants me to be happy. This would make me happy. This is what should be happening. You see, being at the wall itself isn't the issue it's what you're doing when you get there. Have you set up a tent and just said, oh, good enough? Have you started to scrap things in your faith and in your life, looking for ways out of it, looking for a shortcut? Or will you do what we're talking about this morning, look underneath the surface a little bit to see what you could move forward? Because what I found is the key is, will I let God rearrange the furniture in my house? Or as the psalmist says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. You see, this isn't just for God to take the pain away or the frustration away it's really inviting God into the frustration and into the pain and say, let's go through this together. What it means for this morning is to look below what's underneath the surface. I'm guessing you all know the story of the Titanic, the unsinkable ship. Movie that was made about it. And the issue with the unsinkable ship was that it couldn't hit an iceberg, right? So they had people looking out for it. But the issue with icebergs, what we've come to realize, isn't what's simply above the water. Because 90% of the iceberg is underneath the water. I can't say the percentage is the same for us. But there's a lot of stuff that's under the surface. See, this image of an iceberg becomes an incredibly helpful illustration for us. We spend most of our time keeping things under the water and paying attention to the surface of our lives. We become surface focused. And for many, we lean into like a fake confidence for that confidence, rather than confront the reality of what might be really going on underneath. But when we do that, when we just pay attention to what's on top, the result is an untransformed life, meaning we continue the patterns of the past that have been handed on to us, no matter how damaging they are. And that might be one of the great tragedies that we all face. You see, when we only work on what is seen, we live in non-reality because there's so much more to the iceberg than what the surface is revealing. 
We become people that are of the surface. We embrace the message of avoidance because we fear what might be below might actually crush us. Let me show you something from Scripture. And this can happen to anyone. It comes from 1 Kings um, 17 and 19. I'd encourage you to read it. I'm just going to kind of quickly go through it. It was a busy time for a prophet named Elijah. Being a prophet was a very important role because you were the voice of God to people. And a lot of times people didn't want to hear it. You were also the voice of God to the king and the queen, even if they were evil, because that's how God set it up. There was a severe famine in the land. Elijah actually had to rely on ravens to deliver food to him. You would even think at that point, if you were the mouthpiece of God, you could probably get something better than that. But that's what it was. He had just opposed 450 prophets that were against him. They were prophets of Baal in an epic showdown. If you've never read it, you should read it. It is some serious biblical smack talk too. As the prophets of Baal, as Baal was doing nothing, Elijah said certain things like, maybe your God is going to the bathroom right now. You're like, that really says it in the Bible? It really does. He opposed them, one against 450, and God and Yahweh came through and they were destroyed. But because of that, he was receiving death threats from the queen. We pick it up there. So Jezebel, who was the queen, sent a message to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them, which would be death. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. This dude just had an epic battle. He's had enough. Because things from under the surface seem to start to rise up for Elijah. For Elijah, they seemed to include this. Deep frustration. Maybe some unmet expectations from God of what he should be doing. There was some anger under there. Maybe he has some unresolved family of origin where he's like, I'm no better than what, the, what happened before me. And all of a sudden he was living out of a false narrative of what should happen. Seems very dramatic that he would say, I just want to die. But yet when we look under the surface, I think some of these things linger under our surface as well. What does God do? Does he go, ah, yeah, I'm just going to let you die. God engages with Elijah. He cares for him. And he says, Elijah, I'm going to show myself to you. But it's going to be different. He listens to Elijah. He sees the whole iceberg and he's okay with it because you know what God does? God transforms. God reveals himself to Elijah in an unexpected way. If you were asking God to show himself, you probably would ask for like a big old sign, right? Like, God, show me something huge. 
So Elijah's sitting there and he hears like an earthquake and, but God wasn't in the earthquake. He sees fire, he sees wind, everything we might think. But then God comes by and he, in a small whisper, he says, Elijah, I'm in the whisper. It's totally unexpected. You see, God's going to engage with you at that wall moment different than you expect. Because what you've been expecting brought you to the wall in the first place. He does everything he can to get underneath you and deep. Elijah's heart starts to change. He reads this. When Elijah heard it, the whisper, he put on his cloak, pulled it over his face, and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then the voice said to him, which God says to us, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword, and I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. And go to the desert of Damascus, and when you get there, anoint Hazel king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, the son of Nisha, the king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Saphet, from Abel, Mahoah, to succeed you as the prophet. Because Elijah, you've hit the wall. And you want to give up. You want to abandon ship. You want to deconstruct your faith. You want to drift away from me. But God says, let's go deeper. Let's reconstruct this together. But you have to go back and face some of this. Because you won't come out the other side if you don't. Let's go back to that chart from the beginning of the message. We have these stages and then we hit a wall. How do you know when you've hit the wall? One of the things I think that happens in people is you become incredibly unteachable when you hit the wall. You don't really want input. You're like, I've been doing this long enough. How dare you talk to me that way? You kind of push things away. You're not really interested in, in what people have to say. You hang on to how you've defined yourself to that point. You try to return to the previous stages to see if you can repeat them again. You long for things how they used to be Versus what God wants to do. You ask yourself, why can't it just be like it used to be? Can't I just push rewind? Can't I just push pause? Can I start this movie over? But there's a different way to approach it. I met this guy named Harry one time. It was a few years ago, quite a few years ago now. Me and my friend were golfing. What happens a lot, if you have a, just a group of two, sometimes they put other people with you. So we were about to tee off, and my friend, this guy named Harry, walked up, and he said, I'm going to join you today. We're like, great. Harry says, I've been golfing my whole life. I'm like, great. We're looking forward to playing with you. Just don't be too good. And Harry said to us, well, one thing. I'm like, yeah. He goes, I'm blind in my left eye. I'm like, okay. I just met this guy. You don't really need to share too much. Okay, great. And in my right eye, I don't see so well either. I'm like, where are we going with this, Harry? <laughs> he goes, so I may ask for help time to time when I hit my ball to tell me where it went. 
We're like, okay. So me and my friend are like, I guess we have to pay attention to this. So Harry's up there and hits the first ball. And me and my friend are just kind of talking. And he turned around and goes, where to go? I'm like, oh, we're doing this every shot, Harry. <laughs> so Harry, a nice shot, went right down the middle. Okay. Next shot, boom, where to go? And I'm like, it's kind of towards that tree, you know, and I wasn't really paying attention. And then me and my friend were walking and Harry was like on the other fairway. I'm like, no, no, not that tree, Harry, over here. He's like, okay, okay, okay. And then it happened. My friend and I weren't paying attention. Harry hit a shot. Where'd it go? Oh, God, Harry, that was the greatest shot of all time. It's like right down the middle. If you can't find it, it's probably so far away that someone stole your ball, Harry. Just do it again. I had to tell Harry where his ball went every time, and he beat me by like 10 strokes. It drove me crazy. <laughs> but there was something that day about him. He just loved to play. He hit a wall physically where he couldn't see like he used to. But he said, I'm just going to go and just trust strangers and be open and teachable for direction because I want to continue to do the very thing I love to do. You see, that attitude is someone who's hit a wall and just says, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to rely on others to help. I'm going to be different. You never forgot that guy. And the second thing I think is you begin to do things that aren't you. Reactionary, frustration, you're critical, you're prideful. No one understands me becomes your mantra. But God offers freedom. You choose misery by protecting the surface from what lies below, but it's all bubbling up. You ever found yourself being someone that you're not really liking? Like, man, I don't even like myself right now. Yeah. I like you, though. But, but yeah, there's a wall. And I think that's one of the biggest signs for us. What do you do when people give you feedback? Hey, what's going on? Is there a problem? I remember a few years ago, nothing was funny to me. And I didn't make jokes about anything. I would come home and I would sit on my couch and I was really quiet. And after a few days or weeks, my wife Lisa would be like, uh, usually you're making fun of somebody at this point. You haven't laughed. You haven't made me laugh. What's going on? And I'm like, well, I guess I just hit that age of maturity. <laughs> well, you know, I'm just kind of mellow now. And she's like, uh, I don't like this version of Dale. But I just kind of resolved to hang out by the wall for a while. After about a week or two of just nothing was funny. That's a huge red flag for me. <laughs> that I called a friend and I just said, I think I need to talk through some stuff. Because I no longer am playful. I'm no longer even enjoying certain things at night. I just kind of like sit there. You see, when you start behaving differently than who you are, you're at that spot. And I think if nothing else from this morning, you're either willing to go deeper and understand that something else is going on or you push away. To be relationally healthy 
as you go deeper. Because the journey forward looks like this quickly. Stage four is a journey forward, and it's the, the wall and the journey inward is very close connected. It's a journey inward, understanding a little bit more. I want you to remember that it was God that brings us to the wall. He's not afraid of the wall. He often brings us there. If you remember the story when there was a huge storm where the disciples are freaking out and Jesus is asleep in the boat. Do you remember that story? Do you know that one? You know whose idea it was to get in the boat and go to the other side? Jesus' idea. Because he's had a storm waiting for him. It was Jesus' idea to delay a few days when his friend Lazarus was about to die and he dies. And it was Jesus' idea to wait until he died. And people cried and they mourned and he got there and he said, I'm going to heal him so that you might believe. And stage five is the journey outward from your inner life. We may do, start to do some of the external things that we did before. And then we hit this point where we're truly transformed by love. And we're truly bringing it into our relationships. Because this deep transformation is what God is really interested in. As Paul writes in his letter to the Romans, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, persever perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's, he's, who has been given to us. You see, deeply, Jesus is deeply interested in transformation not just modifying your behavior. <laughs> Following Jesus isn't just about let's just do the good things and do the right things and this is what Jesus wants. It's about deeper understandings and deeper transformation. There's a very well-known story about Jesus. The day he meets this woman at the well. He's traveling through a place that most people avoided. But Jesus sits at this well and talks to a woman that most rabbis, if not every rabbi, would have ignored, right? It's a fascinating conversation. And it has so much to do with surface and under the surface. She wants to stay up here, but listen to the words of Jesus. And even listen to how he begins the conversation at here and then he goes under. From John chapter 4. It says, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Very surfacey conversation. Hey, will you give me a drink? She answers. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? So she stays at the surface with him. But then Jesus goes under. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked for you for a drink, you would have asked him, you would have asked him and would have, would have been given you, reading is hard, and he would have given you living water. Jesus goes. But like so many of us, she stays at the surface. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? 
Jesus responds again underneath. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I will give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up into eternal life. And like so many of us, she stays up here. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. You see, this is what God does. He meets us here and he keeps going, let's talking down here. And we keep talking here. And he's like, come, come, come. There's more life. There's better things. There's transformation. And we're like, well, what about today? What about this worry? And he's like, come. And we feel like God is disinterested in our life sometimes. You ever feel that way? Like, God, I've been praying for this. It's because he's pulling you here to deeper things, to greater depth, to bigger perspective. The conversation with this woman continues where he's talking with her like about all the surfacey things about her many husbands and the man she's living with now and how she was abused by these men who just saw her as property, but he saw her as something different. See, that's the great transformation. Surface is not kind to us. Surface tells you what you're not worth. Underneath tells you, this is how I think about you. You see, transformation, even in its early stages, does many things. She engages with Jesus, and then this happens. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because she ran back because of this woman's testimony. He, she was like, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Do you get what happens? She starts to engage with God at a deeper level. She goes back and says, and a miracle happens. You see, a transformed life becomes a credible witness. An untransformed life just becomes a talking piece. Because what isn't, what isn't transformed is still transmitted. We still pass it on. In his book, Let Your Life Speak, Parker J. Palmer writes this. When I give something I do not possess, I give you a fake and dangerous gift. This is a gift that looks like love, but it is really loveless. It's a gift given more from my need to prove myself than from your need to be cared for. The kind of giving is not only loveless, but faithless based on the arrogant, mistaken notion that God has no way of channeling love to the other except through me. That's an untransformed passing on of love. Because we live out of this old self, and that's what Scripture challenges us with. To shed it, to get rid of it. Paul writes this. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in a true righteousness and holiness. But how do we do that? How do we know if we're living out of old self and patterns because it's more than just going to church it's more than just knowing the bible it's more than just the surface things new self is under the water 
How do we know if we're living an old self? There's a lot of self-protection. There's a lot of self-promotion. There's a lot of manipulation. Pete Scazzera writes this. God invites us to remove the false layers we wear so that the seeds of true self he has planted inside of us can emerge. While following this path may appear impossible, the God of the universe has made his home in us and given us the very glory he, has, he gave Jesus. As we open ourselves to the Holy Spirit, we discover God does in us what we cannot do for ourselves. You see, giving access to our deeper spaces comes when the desire for the pain to stop becomes greater than the fear of overcoming it. The fear of uncovering it. For me, I realized I was tolerating emotional immaturity for way too long. I was choosing to do things for God rather than be with God, and I was embracing the above-the-surface success over under-the-water transformation. You see, the, go the gospel tells me something. It tells me I'm more flawed than I ever believed. And here's what I want you to hear, but more loved than I ever dared to hope. Author Chuck DeGroote writes this. We are a complex, a vast immensity, a mystery to ourselves known only and ultimately by a God who seems fearless in the face of our complexity, capable of loving each of us and all of us in our beauty and brokenness. And because of this, we can believe that all of us are seen and known at the deepest places by a God who refuses to reduce anyone to a label, who both confronts sin with an utter seriousness and offers grace with utter lavishness. Surface are labels. This is who you are. This is what you've done. This is what you look like. Let me lump you into a category. Under the surface, God goes after that. As we end, you might be asking, so what's the plan? Like, I hear you. Be really careful of the wall. Be careful of those moments where you just, you feel frustrated. Not that it's not okay to feel, it's, but we can get really comfortable wedging ourselves up against the wall. And we blame things. Because things like anger and frustration or senses of loss or grieving, or it's just not the way I want this anymore. Why can't it be like it was in all the stages of our life? That's the place God says it's time to go deeper. Because if you don't, you stagnate. And you get a little moldy. And then you get a little stinky. And you start to decompose. <laughs> My encouragement is this, to become aware and pay attention to what's under the surface within a relationship. Because being aware, and here's the point, being aware of what's lying underneath becomes the impetus for transformation. How do you become aware? I have found it to be helpful to ask myself these questions. And I ask myself these questions pretty regularly. Simple. 
First one is this. What am I mad about? You're like, that one feels unsafe. It's kind of fun, actually. This is what I'm mad about. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Is Barbara okay? She fell asleep. Well, I fell asleep too. Is Barbara okay? God, help Barbara right now. I think she's all right. Barbara is one of our dear, dear friends. She all right? She's good? Okay. Hang in there, Barbara. I'm finishing. (laughs) I know I have a very calming voice. I mean, just go back to this. God, hold so long. God, thanks for protecting Barbara right now. Amen. The questions that I ask myself, and I encourage you this week to ask yourself these same things. What am I mad about? What's really bothering me? The second question I asked myself was, what am I sad about? The third thing is, what am I anxious about? Is it my money, my future, my family, my health, my job? And then I asked myself, what am I glad about? Because it's not just the bad things we hold down. We also hold down some good things for some reason. What am I really happy about? You see, the point is to identify what's going on below the surface of your life and ask yourself whether it's a true statement or not. I would encourage you strongly to do this with somebody this week. To do it in, 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 in some kind of community with your spouse, a friend, your community. This is what I'm mad about. And just be okay. It doesn't mean that you sit there, but it's identifying it so you even know what you're doing. Practice this with someone this week. And don't just talk to God, talk about God, talk to God about these things. You understand what I'm saying? It's only that what we realize is under the surface is that we can actually bring to God. So ask yourself, what am I mad about? What am I sad about? What am I anxious about? Identify him. Bring him up to the surface. Is there anything there? Giving him to God. Because it's those under the water things that can be so damaging. As John quotes Jesus, I'll say this is our prayer. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither you can bear fruit unless you remain in me. Because I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. Let's pray. Spirit, I just ask you to do what you want to do in our minds and in our hearts. There's no doubt in my mind that there are some, if not all of us, that are working so hard to keep the inner things down. There are some who've hit the wall 
and have been camping out there for a long time. And yet you want to pull them deeper. You want them to experience more of you. And God, what I've discovered is that often that comes from a painful time. But even this morning as we respond, I pray your Holy Spirit does what your Holy Spirit does and goes deeper and transforms and hangs in there. Pulls us from our complacency, pulls us from our pushing away and pulls us from just the contentment of the surface. But there's so much more with you. God, we thank you for your goodness to us. And your goodness is good because you're good. It's not always how we think it should look like, but it is way better than we can imagine. Father, I pray for my friends and my family here today that those sitting next to the wall that have been hanging out there for a while and you're just like, come deeper with me. There's more going on. There's things under the surface I want for you. That that's actually the moment of movement forward. God, may you free us from fighting those things. No matter how long we've been hanging on to them, may we just be open and give them back to you. Help us, Father. We love you. In your name, amen. I know it was a lot, but I would encourage you deeply to pay attention to what's going on underneath the surface of your lives, even in simple ways. But God bless you. Have an amazing week, and thanks for being here today. Yeah.